0: Tonight is, today is a very important day in the history of the church and the Christian world. Tonight is a very important event for most of the secular civilization. It is the premiere of the eighth season of Game of Thrones. Um, it, is, it is really exciting to a lot of people. It has been exciting in times of my life. I've shared before about how I started reading those books in 1995, and it was this kind of like private little world, and no one I knew had read it. And so I had nobody to talk to, and now it's just, like, overwhelming. <laughs> There's so many theories and ideas and a lot of weird stuff going on. Um, but one of, the, um, one of the characters that didn't make it to, to the TV show um, is, a, is a young guy, and he's, he's on a boat. Um, and he, he's met on a boat, and he's uh, – what happens, and so in the, in the fifth book, in The Dance for Dragons, he's kind of this curious little dwarf. I mean, someone's going to go super detailed it's great. I'm going to lose all of you. <laughs> Um, he meets him and plays this game with him, and it's going along, and then realizes who this person is, and this person is someone who's been prepared for his whole life to be king. He's, since the moment he was born, he was rescued, he was given the best tutors, he was given the best trainers, he's taught all these things, he's ready to be king. And at the end of the book, he lands, and things start falling in place, that, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. That they're going to win these amazing battles, and he's going to be king, and he's going to Get, his, get, get the throne, sit on the Iron Throne, which in the books is much bigger than the little thing, dinky thing on the show. But um, it's going to happen. Except the problem is, right after it happens, this is, this is speculation, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be happened. The book hasn't been written yet, um, but it will be soon, and I will, I will be correct about the speculation. <laughs> <laughs> But right when he gets like everything he's prepared for his entire life, it's, all of it has been coming up to this moment. He's going to have acclamation from the crowds. All the people will be, yes, we finally got those, those evil ones off the throne, and you're going to be the true heir. You're going to be the true heir. And then the dragons are going to come and blow everything up. The future that he expected, the future that everyone expected, is going to be destroyed in a pile of dragon fire. Now... <laughs> Now I thought about this a few years ago in relation to my ordination journey. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> that I started my journey of ordination in the United Methodist Church back in 2002, it took a long and winding road, it took a lot of turns, but I was excited it was going to happen, I saw my future before me, I thought years and years and years of ministry, wonderful ministry um, in many places, a long, long ministry here at Berkeley, and lots of things, and then um, General Conference happened, and it was like dragons came, (laughs) and blew that future to smithereens. And I don't know what is going to happen, but the future can be overwhelming. And oftentimes, because we don't know what it is going to be, in certain times in our life, it seems like the future is is steady, it is continuous, and then events happen that shake it. And often, though, even when we think our future is steady, there's events that are shaking it, but we're just not looking too closely. My friends, we are continuing our series on the deep end, on those times in life when it overwhelms us. And today, we are looking at how we can be overwhelmed by the future. One of the ways of being overwhelmed by the future is found in Psalm 13. How long will you forget me, Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be left to my own wits? How long will my enemy keep defeating me? For some people, the future always seems bright. It seems exciting. For others, it seems like we just need to get away from this present. It is the present that is overwhelming. Maybe the future will be different and we long for that future. This is a psalm from the early days of David when he was running away from Saul and seemed like life was overwhelming. It was prayed often in exile, has been prayed often since then. How long, O Lord? That longing for a future of cohesion, for a future that we know what is going on. In the passage before the gospel reading for today is one of those very confusing parables of Jesus that he doesn't just tell us exactly what's going on. Um, Which is so sad, because it's it's so great when he tells us, well, this is what this means, and this is what this means. Like, awesome, Jesus, thanks. I love that. Um, He he doesn't give it to us in this one. This is um, Luke 19, verses 11 and on. As they listened to this, Jesus told them another parable. He said, a certain man was born to royalty, went to a distant land to receive his kingdom, and then returned. He called together ten servants and gave each of them money worth four months' wages. He said, do business with this until I return. Do business with this until I return. So when he came back, the first servant came forward and said, your money has earned a return of 1000%. It's pretty great. The king replied, excellent. You are a good and faithful servant because you have been faithful in a small matter. You will have authority over 10 cities. It's a pretty good return. The second servant came and said, Master, your money has made a return of 500% to this one, the king said. You'll have authority over five cities. But then, the third servant, always the third servant, you never want to be the third servant who comes forward. <laughs> Master, here is your money. I wrapped it up in a scarf for safekeeping, because I was afraid of you, for you were a stern man. The king replied, I will judge you by the words of your own mouth, you worthless servant servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a stern man? Why then didn't you put my money in the bank? Then when I arrived, at least I could have gotten it back with interest. He said, take his money and give it to the one who has ten times as much. But master, they said, he already has ten times as much. I say to you that everyone who has will be given more, but from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Whoa! Okay, so this is the parable right before the nice palms. And so then we have the palms. I was <laughs> like, what are you doing, Luke? But really, it's a parable about the future. It's a parable about how we see the future and how we're going to do business until the future arrives. How we're going to live into that future. And the response of the third servant seems pretty harsh. But it is also a response I think often I have had, and probably many of you have had, about the future. And that is trying to avoid thinking about it. <laughs> Apathy. Head in the sand. I can't control it, so I'm not going to think about it. Inaction. Which is in itself is another form of anxiety. And these are, these are ways of addressing the future. And I think it's so important to realize that this is how we frame The Palm Sunday. This is how we frame what's going on when Jesus enters Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem and goes through some really concrete places. Luke um, notes Bethphage and Bethany and the Mount of Olives. These are concrete places. The geography of the, the Near East is important for Luke. These are concrete places. There are people right this second in Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives who are on pilgrimage walking the very Streets that Jesus walked. How amazing is that? That's a concrete thing. Jesus is not just this ephemeral idea of being kind of nice to people. He's a a man who lived and walked. These stories are real. And then he has these kind of odd requests. Go into the village, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt who has never been ridden before. Untied and bring it here. And then they will ask you, why are you asking me to do this? And you will say to them, the Lord needs it. And so they go. And... So this kind of reminds me of the ordination process in the Methodist church. Uh, like, you will write a letter to this person, and they will ask you why you wrote the letter. And then you will say, this is why I'm writing the letter. And then you'll have to wait and write a letter. On and on and on. Um, and it's also like at the, on Monday, Thursday, when he gets ready to go, he's like, okay, look for a person with a jar of oil on their head. And then follow them, and there will be a room above. It's like, what is going on? can you just tell me where to go, Jesus? Um, but really, it's like this, the absurdity of that often feels like the life of faith, that we are doing these things that in the moment can seem absurd. Like, Jesus, why are you asking me to love this person? Really? Like, I mean, haven't you met them? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. I have to deal with them again? It's like, they showed up again? I'm not talking about any of you. (laughs) No. But the the places we go and the things we do matter. The people in our lives matter. And sometimes, especially in the present, it is hard to understand why. And it seems as absurd as walking ahead and looking for a colt, tied who has never been ridden before. I don't know how you notice that. Um, I don't know if any of you are horse or donkey people. Um, But that's pretty amazing to be able to say That is a a cult that has never been written. But that is what, go and love your neighbor. Go and love your enemies. Go and feed those who are hungry. It's so absurd in the moment. And then he rides on this cult. Jesus rides and the people lay down their clothes for him. They lay down blankets. And I think a lot of them were thinking, now that's a nice, young, handsome rabbi. Look at him writing in here. He is going to fix all our things. He's going to solve all the things. That's what we want. Let's, that, that Jesus, that Rabbi Jesus, he's going to go in and he's going to put the Romans in their place and then we'll be on top of the Romans. And it'll be great. It'll be great. And I think so often that's the box we put Jesus in, that he is going to solve all our problems but not ask us to do anything else. That he's going to get, make sure that we don't have the bad things in our life we're just going to take care of and then all the stuff we like to do we'll just keep on doing and we don't have to be bothered with other people. And I think that's so often that is the heart of this day. That is the heart of Palm Sunday of a people who are longing to make their lives a little simpler without having to love anyone. But Good Friday is coming. We don't know what our future is. And our faith is not and cannot be in our own knowledge of that future. The everything that Jesus transforms is so much more than what we can expect. It's so much more than what we can ever imagine. The future that God imagines and creates and saves for us is anything. is so much greater than what we can imagine. It is a lot more like Psalm 131 than Psalm 13. Instead of the psalm of how long, O Lord... It is, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this day forward. I think this Psalm 131 is a great psalm of contemplation, of resting in God, of resting in love, of not rushing off, but also not staying silent, of not, sometimes from a distance contemplation and apathy can look like the same thing, but they are different. Just like it can look like you're praying when you're sleeping, or it can look like you're sleeping when you're praying. Sometimes that's okay. If you ever try contemplative prayer, it's okay to fall asleep while you're doing it. But but it, it's so the important thing is not what it looks like, but what you are doing. Contemplation leads to action. Contemplation of resting in God, resting in our future with God, not our future, not our knowledge of our own future. Resting in God and acting in God, being thankful for what God has done and not being passive about the expectation to love concretely in this world. To love in Bethphage, in Bethany, in Berkeley, in 78745, and wherever we live, to love in these concrete places in our lives. Embodying hope is found in this both and, in this contemplation and action, in this present and future. Because the stones themselves will shout, All of creation is moving in this direction. So let us not wait for the stones to speak. One week from now, Jesus will rise again, but before that, he will be killed. Our future is going to have discontinuities in it, there is going to be a rupture. And so our faith cannot be in the continuities we expect but in the God who is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. We cannot expect a three-step plan to get to our own personal utopia that will not work. There's not one weird trick to fix the universe. Instead, we are offered our hope in the Alpha and Omega. We have the privilege of being a part of this middle way. In Holy Week, We are offered the opportunity of contemplation. On Monday, Thursday, at 7, we're going to have a bilingual service here. It's going to be a foot washing and communion service, a commemoration of the Last Supper and the last time of Jesus with his disciples. It is a time of humility. I talked about foot washing this week with the chapel at the child care center and all the kids, and it was like, does anybody after the day, when you take off your socks, do your feet stink? And they were like, yeah. (laughs) Do you want to touch other people's feet? No. Even three-year-olds don't want to touch other people's feet. Nobody wants to. Like, that's the point of foot washing. Like, it's not something that people are eager to do, or eager to be like, oh, here, touch my feet. Like, no. Nobody wants that. But that's, that's the humility found in it. The power that this action that is reserved for servants is the one that the master does. That Jesus offers to wash his disciples' feet. And it's connected especially with baptism. That In the same way, John the Baptist said, Oh Lord, you are, I'm not fit to untie the thong of your sandal. Peter says, Oh Lord, let me wash you. I am not fit to receive it from you. So often we feel that, Oh Lord, it's just me. You shouldn't be doing this for me, but God still offers himself to us. On Good Friday at noon, there will be a brief service of the seven last words of Jesus, will be definitely a time of contemplation, a time of silence, a time of song, a time of readying and stilling our hearts. Contemplation of just, just thinking about something for more than 15 seconds. in this world that try and denies that and forces us to move from this to that and this to that and this to that and, <laughs> and resting in a moment of like, oh my gosh, Jesus died. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for this world? On Good Friday, on evening, we're going to have our cantata, an opportunity in song to hear praises to God, but as well, it is going to be weaved into the story of Good Friday, the story of the trial and the crucifixion in a way of hearing in a different way way. Contemplating in a different manner. That not everybody receives and understands and learns from being spoken at over and over by a guy in a black robe. That sometimes we need to hear songs to receive God's word. On Easter Sunday we're going to have our sunrise service. Which is not for everybody I understand. It's at 7 a.m. But it is a powerful moment. Of The sunrise service is a time of remembering the very first preachers of the good news of Jesus Christ, who were the women who came to the cave. They came to the cave to wash his body. And they were, ter- they were responded by an angel who said, what are you looking for? Jesus is not here. He has risen. And so they ran away and shared that news. He has risen. And then we were going to have a celebration of Easter, a celebration of resurrection. But before that is Good Friday. There is not an easy, neat jump from Palm Sunday to Easter. It would be nice sometimes to feel like that. Sometimes it's nice, and we we feel like we can skip over. I, I there's some moments in TV shows I don't like, so I sometimes like watching it by myself, so I can just fast forward. I'd be like, I don't really want to hear this conversation. I just fast forward through it. Um, Alina really understands that. <laughs> We, we can't fast forward through Holy Week. No. We can't fast forward through hard times in our lives. And what's so powerful about this week is especially remembering it and connecting it to those times when we felt alone. Those times when we said, oh Lord, please take this cup from me. Those times when we said, Aloy, Aloy, lama My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those times when we, like the psalmist in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord? That we can't just snap our fingers and be like meek and humble. We need to rest in those moments as God rested in them and showed us that we are true and real. It is real to grieve, it is real to hurt, but that is not the end of us. This week, the world turns upside down. The future is not what we expect, it is more. The king who comes does not simply defeat the Romans, he defeats death. But first he will break bread with his disciples. First he will wash their feet. Then he will pray, then he will be arrested and tried and tortured. Then he will be killed. Before Easter there is Good Friday. Before our future arrives, we have a present that is broken where the stones themselves are crying out. I encourage you to take this time, this week to contemplate, to rest, to not rush forward. To welcome the Lord in your lives. Not with palms, but with your lives. To welcome the Lord. May your heart not be lifted up too much. May your eyes not be raised too high. May your hope not be in yourself and in your five-year plan, but in the Lord, from this time on and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.